0: Welcome to the vet podcast by the vet gurus, Brendan and Mark. Get ready for the latest veterinary news, information and entertainment. Don't forget to visit us at the vet gurus website, vetgurus.com. Now sit back, relax. It's over to the vet gurus, Brendan and Mark.
1: Welcome listeners. Brendan here with Mark, vetgurus.com. Thursday, October the 26th, 2023 episode Three hundred and eighteen, three hundred and eighteen, and boy, have we had technical issues, haven't we, Mark?
0: It is amazing, Brendan, that we have had so few technical issues over probably the first two hundred and ninety-five to three hundred episodes. But from that three hundredth episode, there's something has happened. We've had a couple, but we can't complain, I suppose, although there
1: well, was some pretty decent swearing going on over the last <laughs> half, half an hour, Mark. So oh. hopefully this recording will take and it will be in the can shortly. And uh, if not, nobody will know, will they? That's um, it. How are you, Mark? I heard you've been on the road a little bit um, and out out completely bush. Um, how's it been?
0: It's been great. We, um, we're, we're obviously in a fairly remote place to start with, and we, uh, we've been trying to take advantage of the end of the dry season to get out and um, see a few other, um, um, even more remote places. And so, yeah, it, it's been um, fully self-contained camping, and I've been loving it, Brendan. Good. So, end of the dry. When do you hit the bottle again, Mark? <laughs> uh, Did you yeah, ever stop? Do I ever stop? Do I ever stop? No, no. We um we expect the uh the rains to begin, um about um mid November, and they'll build up to a crescendo through December, and the place will be sodden for the next four months.
1: And no doubt humid. And 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 Just I'll be determined. sodden too. Yes. Well, I think with that, Mark, considering we've had difficulty getting this episode up and going, we're going to jump into the news stories, Mark, and I'll take the first one. This one, I don't know about this one, Mark. Wild Asian elephants (laughs) display unique puzzle solving skills. A, oh. a report in science news from uh, an article the Graduate Center. A new study has documented the ability of individual wild Asian, Asian elephants to access food by solving puzzles that unlocked storage boxes. It is the first research study to show individual wild elephants have different willingness and abilities to problem solve in order to get food, Mark. So... Yeah, and it and we um we have I'm just flicking through the um the um, rest of the abstract there, Mark. Um, well, basically, it's showing how um, you know some of the elephants. Basically, there was 44 of the elephant of over time, 44 of the elef- elephants who approached the puzzle boxes interacted with them, but there were individual differences, Mark, in how innovative the elephants were. Some of them persisted and persisted and were more successful in retrieving their food from the three differently configured compartments. And 11 elephants solved one compartment, type eight solved two, and five solved all three types. Uh, So the summary is, Mark, that, you know, it's not unlike the humans or any other species. There's um, smart ones and dumb ones, Mark.
0: (laughs) Or is it hungry ones and not so hungry? (laughs) Perhaps.
1: There's a bit of a combination there. yes. Yes.
0: (laughs) And I um, mean, what, what their, their final
1: quote in the um, abstract there is: investigating innovation and problem solving in elephants can inform our understanding of wild elephants' cognitive flexibility and its potential impact on conservation management and human elephant conflict mitigation. Well, my summary is that some are good and some are bad, some are dumb and some are smart,
0: Mark. I think We're that's all good all you, at different things you could, That's the only conclusion you can draw from that And, and look, I appreciate that um, researchers want to see They want to understand things better And they understand that um, wild elephant interactions are a, a, You know, a, a, a dangerous thing um, they, they, they certainly don't want wild elephants eating food from villages And then being, you know, shot or killed or whatever um, but I struggled to see how well they can solve problems is going to, and some enhance- of them may um, some of them may not have liked the jackfruit. Mark,
1: it was jackfruit yes, that they had right. in there that they um, went nuts for, and apparently they love. So, yeah, some are good at solving puzzles and some aren't. You know, so I think some of the elephants would survive Elephant Hunger Games, and some would, <laughs> 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 but. Um, Quite a novel little experiment, having said all of that, Mark. Um, and so.
0: and uh, I noticed that they also used camera traps in this. The, so yes. they literally have set up um, these these um, uh, uh, traps, the the, the uh, problems, the little um, uh, mazes, and then they've just filmed the, what the elephants do. They haven't even had to sit there and watch. And then they've reviewed the footage. It's um, yeah, it's pretty interesting science and. Um, you wonder if uh, the elephants would perform differently if they knew that they were being watched. Yes. Or, you know what I mean, like. Yes. Um, and do they know they're being watched? Do they know that they're being papped? Um, I don't know. There seems to be a lot of variables here not taken into account. In they might experience. just give.
1: They might just give you a rest in elephant, bitch face. So, <laughs> uh, do you expect me to uh, try and solve this puzzle? Just give me the jackfruit. Yes. So there you go, Martin. that's my story, Wild Asian Elephants Solving Puzzles to
0: Find a Bit of Jackfruit. Well, my my story is, uh, well, it's interesting and it has a little bit of um, uh, personal aspect to it, Brendan, because um, it's the story of uh, some research that looks at Australian native stingless bees um, and uh, does a little bit of investigation as to whether they could be effective uh, pollinators in some aspects of Australian horticulture, and this is important, of course, because um, honeybees, which are currently the industry standard pollinator for many um, many of our uh, uh, um, uh, grown vegetables and and um, and uh, nuts and fruits and whatnot. Um, but uh, the varroa mite has meant that it may there may be significant um, restrictions on the ability to move those hives around and affect um, pollination as with uh, uh, with honeybees with introduced honeybees, and so um, the tetragonula family of Australian native bees uh, widely kept. In fact, I have three hives in my own garden, um, and and now there's serious investigation given to seeing how good they would be um, uh, across several different uh, plant uh, horticultural um, streams. They've already been used quite extensively in macadamia farms. So there's runs on the board already. They actually outperform honeybees in fertilising um, macadamias and in pr- improving um, uh, uh, crop output from those farms. Uh, but they're also now looking at um, a number of other vegetable crops um, and seeing how, how they might go. And the research is exciting um, because in um, crops such as mango, lychee and maybe even avocado, um, the um, the bees seem to do uh, pretty, pretty well. They're not as good as honeybees um and um and they uh, they certainly don't do nearly as well in recently divided hives um, but uh, they they certainly gave a good account of themselves with established hives um, and I think it will be a, an increasingly um, increasingly used thing that uh, the um, bees are put into glass houses where these uh, variety of um of uh, vegetables are grown, um, and they'll be the agents um, that um, that affect uh, pollination. And I think, um, even though they might not be quite as effective as honeybees, the controlled environment of greenhouses means that um, that they. You know, they, uh, they can be managed to be almost as good. So uh, we shouldn't see losses in production as varroa might limits the ability of, uh, of honeybee hives to be moved around, Brendan. I think it's an exciting thing. You've, you've really got into that one, haven't you? <laughs> I have. I um, really have.
1: I've just clicked on the actual full report there mark from horticulture.com.au, dot com and yes. uh, here it is very thorough very thorough report there's a couple of really good uh um, really good flow charts too, some beautiful color coded flow charts there mark about uh, stingless bees and their pollination attempts um, and one thing that piqued my um interest mark um the final report. Its delivery partner is Western Sydney University, mm. and guess who the project leader is? I've got no Professor idea. Professor James Cook. Uh, I was thinking, <laughs> do they mean James Cook University <laughs> or not? Um, so Professor James Cook. So we're well done, Prof. Um, but uh, I thought, is it supposed to be James Cook University? But no, it is. There is a Professor James Cook. So very good report, Mark. And I'm just flicking through it. M- many, many pages, and. Uh, very thorough report there so yeah it is um fascinating.
0: it is but the interesting thing about that the when i first um uh so i was given a hive that was rescued from the wild that was my first hive i bought a hive a second hive when i bought that hive it was 200 dollars. now the going price for um native bee stingless native bee hives is about 750 dollars and if this market takes off um, then i can see the price of hives you know topping a thousand dollars um really really interesting times with um with our native bees brendan Gee, you'll be trading in for
1: a new rolls rice won't you Mark? <laughs> uh, very soon yes get rid of the old one okay Good stuff, Mark. I think we're going to jump in and quickly run through our main topic before the internet dies on us again. And it's one you've suggested, so I'm going to quiz you on this, Mark. We're talking about well, it's a bit of a natural type substance. It's um, or some people call them a you know like a herbal type treatment, Mark, and that's uh, a product that's particularly useful. And I think many of us use it in. Um, in dogs, don't we? Um, as a as a um, hepatoprotectant, um, and that is what Mark. What are we talking about?
0: We're talking about um, silly marin. Is that how you? How do you pronounce yes. it, Brendan?
1: Yes, silly marin.
0: Silly marin. Silly yep. marin. marin. Yeah, so no, I it call is silly marin.
1: Yeah, one of the uh, the active ingredient of what that's um, in um, among amongst other things, milk thistle. Is that yeah, correct?
0: That's exactly right. Uh, milk thistle um, is the usual source, and um, and I think it's it's also um, uh, the active ingredient, um, silymarin, um, the which is metabolised, I think, to silybinin, and um, yep. and that's uh, um, uh, uh, also in dandelions. I think there's a sm- small trace of it, but the extract from milk thistle is the one that we use most frequently, and And look, I I did want to emphasise when we started this discussion that um, I personally, Brendan, am not, generally speaking, a big fan of of herbal remedies because, um, for a whole variety of reasons, Um, I I tend to not use large amounts of them. Um, But um, this is one herbal remedy where there is an evidence base to justify the use of the treatment, um, and in that circumstance, and particularly because the risks associated with the, the use um, is relatively low, um, and the the action, mode of action is relatively non-specific, um, and and does do a degree of hepatoprotection, um, I think this is one that we can justify use in evidence-based unusual pet. And avian veterinarian medicine,
1: and I think it—if maybe correct me if I'm wrong, Mark—but it is used probably more frequently in our feathered friends, as far as the exotic pets, um, than than the uh, mammals and/or any of the others like reptiles, etc. And I'll be interested in your thoughts on its use in species like reptiles as well. So let's jump into um, uh, well, let's jump into what it does mark what's the supposed action of it um we mentioned that it helps the liver um, yes. so I, we presume we're using it then for for animals and and the classic is the dogs that it's used at the variations of it are used for dogs that have um chronic um hepatitis and other um liver failure conditions is that isn't that right
0: um, that's exactly right um so and- we Go, go, on, you go you go, you so, go, So,
1: are we doing this? Are we using it for the same reasons in our exotic
0: pets, man, or are there additional reasons why you may use milk thistle? Well, I think the, the, the <clears throat> sort of the, the roundabout way of explaining why we use it. The ideal thing to do any time that you feel that an animal has a liver disease is to get a diagnosis. Like it's, it's do your blood work, um, and then subsequently. Um, do the the you know the appropriate biopsy, um, uh, liver function testing, all those things, um, and I think sometimes uh, we're in a situation where we can have a reasonable degree of suspicion as the as to the etiology, and because in birds the yep. you can definitely do liver biopsies, yeah, and I probably should do more um, of them. But it's in an invasive. interesting
1: one, isn't it, Mark? Now I think you've um... Okay, Mark, uh, the internet's playing up, but away we go again, Mark. So
0: I was talking about yes. some uh, hepatoprotection, so where we do some blood work and we see some numbers that suggest there's dangers to the liver. Um, often in birds, that will be associated with aflatoxicosis. That's probably the, a very common um, a, a, a form of liver damage in birds, and you know many of our birds that eat pellets or seeds. Those products can easily be and nuts can easily be contaminated with Aspergillus and aflatoxin, and so um so yes, like in us at the moment. Okay, so you hinted at
1: the fact that um that one of the reasons why you can use or do like using this medication or substance is its safety. Is that correct? It's pretty safe to use.
0: Precisely, precisely, Brendan. It is really safe to use, and there are uh, relatively few side effects. It does have a little bit of an effect on glucose metabolism. Um, it does uh, change uh, glucose resistance and that alteration may result in some hypoglycemia. Um, and so you do have to watch that with yes. some individuals. So we monitor, we monitor bloods, exactly. don't we, Mark? And we watch to see what happens
1: with those liver enzymes because the animals that respond well, especially, you know, my classic ones are the, those dogs that uh, go on it and those liver enzymes come down very dramatically sometimes. So it's fantastic. Excellent. Um, what sort of preparations do they come in? How does it, what, what is it? Is it a liquid? Is it a powder? Is it, is it what?
0: like many of those preparations, a bit inconsistent. Um, you can get uh, a powder, um, but I find the liquid is the um, easiest and most consistent way to dose. So I almost invariably stick to to the liquid. And uh, because it's a, a lipophilic substance, those earlier two preparations might not be as well absorbed as the liquid where it's already in a suspension um and uh um, excellent uh, now
1: briefly quickly before we get lost to the internets again we mentioned species and i've I've mentioned the dogs you mentioned birds what other species uh, has it been used in and you have experience with mark and we've lost you mark so i think with that um we'll leave everybody hanging there so send us an email and tell us what species you have used this product in and what success or not you've had with it. And I think with that, we will talk to you all next week because Mark and I are not happy at the minute because we cannot record. We'll talk to you all next week.
0: Thanks for listening to the Vet Podcast by the Vet Gurus.